good day, and welcome to the Inmo Limited fourth quarter and full year 2020 conference call. All participants will be in a listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. <clears throat> After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. Please note that this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mary Siegel of MSIR. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator, and good day to everybody. I would like to welcome all of you to Inmode's fourth quarter and full year 2020 financial results conference call. With us on the line today are Mr. Moshe Mizrahi, Chairman of the Board and CEO, Dr. Michael Prindel, Co-Founder and CTO, Mr. Yair Malka, CFO, Dr. Spero Teodoro, CMO, and Mr. Shakila Kani, President of InMode North America. Before we begin, I would like to remind our listeners that certain information provided on this call may contain forward-looking statements, and the safe harbor statement outlined in today's earnings release also pertains <coughs> to this call. If you have not received a copy of the release, please view it in the Investor Relations section of the company's website. Changes in business, competitive, technological, regulatory, and other factors could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed by the forward-looking statements made today. Our historical results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. As such, we can give no assurance as to the accuracy of our forward-looking statements and assume no obligation to update them except as required by law. Moshe will begin the call with the business update and turn it over to Shakila Kani, Inmode's President of North America, to discuss our North American operations, followed by Yair Malka, Inmode CFO, with an overview of the financials. We will then open the call for the question and answer session. I'll now turn the call to Moshe Mizrahi, in mode CEO. Moshe, please go ahead. Thank you, Miri, and thanks to all of you for joining our fourth quarter and a full year 2020 financial results conference call. With me on the call today are Yair Malka, our CFO, Shakila Kiani, our President of North America, Dr. Michael Kreinder, our Co-Founder and Chief Technology Officer, and Dr. Spiro Teodoros, our Chief Medical Officer. Also with me in Israel, Rafi Lickerman, our VP Finance. 2020, what a year it was. I believe that we will all remember this year for the rest of our life. I remember our earning call in February 2020, before the crisis hit the market. We all expected another momentous year, and none of us had a clue what would take place only one month later. In March 2020, the world stood still. All of our sales activity stopped, and not one of us knew how things would unfold. But as Churchill said, never let a good crisis go to rest. With that in mind, it took us a few days to recover and put together a worldwide plan based on four major decisions. One not to lay off any of our employees. Two, to continue to work business as usual in all other businesses, disciplines other than sales. Three, to help out in mode supply chain at all levels, from component manufacturer through, the, through to our distributors. 
so that they will also be able to operate in spite of the crisis. Four, to use the time to upgrade our infrastructure worldwide and to train our team and our customers, doctors, and prepare them for the day after the crisis. This strategy paid off big time when business began to get back to normal just before the summer. In the fourth quarter of 2020, Inmo generated record revenue of $75.2 million, a 60% increase from the fourth quarter of 2019, a record of $36.1 million net income on a gap basis and $39.9 million of net income on a non-gap basis. For the full year of 2020, Inmo generated record revenue of $206.1 million, a 32% increase from the full year of 2019, a record net income of $75 million, and $89.1 million of net income on a non-GAAP basis. In the full year of 2020, approximately 62% of our revenue derived from our surgical platforms engaged in minimal invasive and subdermal ablative treatments. 32% derived from our recently introduced hand-free platforms and only 6% from our traditional laser and non-invasive RF platforms. The record revenue in the fourth quarter and the full year was driven by demand for our minimal invasive and hand-free proprietary electrosurgical bipolar RF technology. The U.S. was a significant component in our performance, while international sales become a major growth engine with the full year 2020 international revenue more than doubling year over year. During the year, we saw accelerated demand from our new product launches as our hand-free devices enable social distancing and allow physicians to offer solutions that customers feel comfortable with, while effectively treating the entire body and face. The success we have had despite the outbreak of the global pandemic is a testament to our organization, dedication, and innovative technology. As we look back on our action in 2020, we are proud of the decision to not only retain our workforce during the COVID-19 pandemic, but expand our sales and marketing team, continue investing in our R&D and in our infrastructure, and progress our regulatory processes in the U.S. and elsewhere around the world. We were confident in the future of InMode and saw this as an opportunity to cement ourselves as the market leader. As a result of our bold step, we were able to capture pent-up demand for our new and free and minimal invasive devices, Evoke, Evolve, and Morpheus 8. Additionally, we were able to penetrate new medical categories such as OBGYN, offering complementary solutions to, to their practices. As we introduce additional technologies in 21, we plan to expand into ophthalmology market while continuing to grow our presence in the plastic surgery, dermatology, and OBGYN communities. Our goal is to introduce, to introduce two new platforms each year and continue to diversify our R&D pipeline 
to offer wellness aesthetic solution, address other medical indications, and continue to innovate. Additionally, we plan to further expand our international sales and marketing operation while focused on Europe and Asia Pacific in 2021. Our initial success in this region gives us confidence that we can capture market opportunity as the world gradually recovers from the pandemic. As we expand into a new region and medical categories, we plan to continue developing patent protection for our novel method and RF technology that differentiate our product portfolio. Also, we will continue to defend our existing intellectual property. The success of InMod so far has come from our innovation and ability to, to, to generate interest across medical communities for our platforms. The fact that our devices and platforms can effectively be performed in the doctor's office without the need of anesthesia or any other invasive method has appealed to patients and physicians alike. We will continue to deliver industry-leading solutions using our unique technology to bridge the current significant treatment gap. Considering our successful performance in 2020, we are providing a full year 2021 guidance of revenue between $250 million and $260 million. Non-gap gross margin between 84% and 86%. Non-gap income from operation between $100 million and $104 million and a non-GAAP earning per diluted share between $2.34 and $2.45. Lastly, as Powerful recently introduced corporate social responsibility, we place a high value on our employees, partners, and stakeholders across the growing numbers of communities and markets we operate in. We aim to positively impact local economies in the U.S. and in the rest of the world, and will continue to prioritize the health and welfare of our employees and customers. With that, I would like to turn the call to Shaquille, our president in North America. Shaquille? Thanks, Moshe, and hello, everyone. We reported a record fourth quarter and full year in North America, as accelerated demand for our new product launches led to record capital equipment and consumable volume. It was very encouraging to see high levels of consumable purchases coincide with capital equipment sales. This clearly indicated that physicians were treating patients at pre-pandemic volumes and have successfully adapted to the restrictions of COVID-19. We were very pleased with the reception of our new products, Evolve, Evoke, and Morpheus 8. These products proved to be high in demand, not only by physicians, but also patients. The momentum we saw in the second half of 2020 supported our decision to continue investing in our sales and marketing organization back in March and April. We were able to bring in some of the top talent from across the industry during the market contraction earlier this year. This enabled us to successfully capture the pent-up demand for our products following the easing of restrictions. One of the key initiatives to keep physicians engaged during the pandemic was the use of technology. We introduced InMode University, our web-based educational resource for physician and aesthetic providers, and created an impressive library of online tutorials and training content to sharpen the skills of our sales force and educate physicians on our newest products. The COVID-19 global pandemic accelerated consumer trends that were driven by efficiency, results, and innovation. 
which are the core building blocks of our organization. Additionally, as the world transitions work and socialization to virtual meeting applications such as Zoom, people are spending more time than ever analyzing their appearances. This trend, along with the flexibility of working remotely, have created the need and opportunity for patients to visit physician offices and request aesthetic procedures more frequently. We believe that these trends are here to stay and we will continue to provide our innovative solutions to physicians and patients. Coming out of 2020, our sales and marketing team has created a successful multi-pronged approach to introduce InMode's latest technologies. Our ability to penetrate new offices and medical categories with new products is unparalleled, which is illustrated by our financial performance this year. Once again, we are proud of our team for their resilience and determination during this pandemic, and we are excited to take InMode's mo momentum into the new year. Now let me hand over the call to Yair to review our financial results in detail. Yair. Thanks, Shaquille. Good day, everyone. Total revenue in the fourth quarter of 2020 increased 60% to $75.2 million with a gross margin of 86% on a gap basis. The increase in revenues was driven primarily by the expansion of inmost direct sales organization in the United States and the continued momentum of InMode's hands-free technology, as well as the recently introduced Morpheus 8 body fractional technology. Additionally, InMode continued to gain traction in the international markets, with international revenues growing 102% year-over-year. Gap operating expenses in the fourth quarter of 2020 totaled approximately $29.2 million, a 27% increase from the fourth quarter of 2019. Sales and marketing expenses increased 25.4% in the fourth quarter of 2020 compared to the fourth quarter of 2019. Stock-based compensation increased to $3.2 million in the fourth quarter of 2020 compared to $2.4 million in the third quarter of 2020. This increase is due to higher than previously estimated vesting of our performance-based options as a result of our record revenue in the fourth quarter. On an ANGA basis, operating expenses totaled approximately $26.1 million in the fourth quarter of 2020, compared to operating expenses of $22.7 million in the fourth quarter of 2019, an increase of 15.1%. Gap operating margin was 47% in the fourth quarter of 2020, compared to 38% in the fourth quarter of 2019. Non-gap operating margin in the fourth quarter of 2020 was 51%, compared to 39% in the fourth quarter of 2019. This increase in non-gap operating margin was primarily attributable to decreased travel and marketing activities in the United States, such as events and uh, conference participation, due to restrictions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Gap diluted earnings per share in the fourth quarter of 2020 were 85 cents, compared to 46 cents per diluted share in the fourth quarter of 2019. Non-gap diluted earnings per share in the fourth quarter of 2020 were 94 cents, compared to 46 cents per diluted share in the fourth quarter of 2019. We completed our fourth quarter with a strong balance sheet. As of December 31, 2020, the company had cash and cash equivalents marketable securities and deposits 
of $260.5 million. On the cash flow front, the company generated $41.6 million from operating activities for the fourth quarter of 2020, driven by the record sales volume. Total revenue in the full year of 2020 grew 32% to a record of $206.1 million with a gross margin of 85% on a gap basis. Year-over-year international revenue growth was 76% in 2020. Gap operating expenses in the full year of 2020 total approximately $102.4 million, a 33.9% increase from the full year of 2019. On a non-gap basis, operating expenses total $90.1 million in the full year of 2020 compared to operating expenses of $75 million in the year of 2019 an increase of 20.1%. Gap operating margin was 35% in the full year of 2020 compared to 38% for the full year of 2019. Non-gap operating margin for the full year of 2020 was 42% compared to 39% for the full year of 2019. This increase in non-gap operating margin was, as previously mentioned, attributable to decreased travel and marketing activities due to the pandemic. Gap diluted earnings per share in the full year of 2020 were $1.78 compared to $1.60 per diluted share in the full year of 2019. Non-gap diluted earnings per share in the full year of 2020 were $2.11 compared to $1.63 per diluted share in the full year of 2019, an increase of 29.4%. On the cash flow front, the company generated $79.2 million from operating activities for the full year of 2020. With that, I will turn the call back to Moshe. Moshe? Operator? Pardon me, this is the operator. Boshe has disconnected. If we will connect in a minute, just hold the line, please. Okay. Operator. 
Pardon, we are going to start our question and answer session. Our, to begin the question and answer session, to ask a question, you may press star then one on your touchstone phone. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. Our first question today comes from Matt Taylor with DBS. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Thank you for taking the question, uh, and congrats on a good quarter. So the first thing I wanted to start off with was uh, just understanding the guidance for, for 21. You know, the way I'll frame the question is you obviously had a very strong uh, Q4, and you're at a, you know, $75 million run rate. So can you talk to us about how you derived the, the 250 to $260 million? You know, that would imply average sales below that run rate was there some stuff that was one time in q4 or are you just being conservative to start the year um maybe you could talk about some of the ongoing trends and what you're seeing hi matt this is moshe i'm back again i, I was disconnected yeah. sorry uh no problem yeah sorry uh well uh um uh, the, the $75 million in the fourth quarter, uh, I believe uh, uh, that uh, we gave you the, how, how it was divided between, uh, between the product. It was something like 62% on minimal invasive and 30-something percent on the hand-free. Uh, uh, the $260 million, uh, we need to remember that we are going to add another two platforms. Uh, so, uh, percentage-wise, I believe maybe that although they will grow on uh, absolute numbers, but percentage-wise, uh, maybe the minimal invasive and the hand-free will go a little bit down, uh, and the OBGYN business will go up from a few percentage to something like maybe uh, uh, seven to nine percent. Uh, all the rest will stay the same. The laser and the regular uh, RF non-invasive will continue to be in the neighborhood of 5%. Okay, thank you. And can you, can you comment on any trends you're seeing here early in, in 21? Are you continuing to see strong demand for procedures and for capital? Oh yes, uh, um, yes. Uh, I, I, the, the, the disposable that we're selling, we reached a record in, the, in Q4, and in the beginning of this year, so far, uh, uh, very strong demand for consumable, uh, which are being used, as you know, in the minimal invasive and ablative, and also on the uh, Votiva, uh, the women health platforms. So hopefully, and I'm and uh, the way it looks like. We will break the record again in the Q1. And Matt, just to add there, um, you know, as far as what we've seen momentum-wise, January is typically a slower month. Um, we we've seen uh, some really good momentum come up in February here, and normally February and March are kind of the bulk of Q1. So it's it's tracking uh, it's tracking in a in a positive way. Okay, thanks, Jack. Um, and maybe I'll just add one more. So you, you highlighted this women's health offering and I know you're you're beefing it up for a, a bigger launch here in twenty one. Can you talk about the components of that? Um, you know, how you expect to to market it and how it's differentiated from some of the other systems that are out there? Spiro, sure. can you answer so, that? Sorry. 
Matt, why don't I start off and I'll pass it over to Spiro. So basically, you know, as, as we know, there's been in the past, there's basically been uh, a lot. There were worse other companies and competitors in the space um, in the women's health and wellness market. And many of them have actually uh, left the space based on what happened, um, you know, uh, a year and a half, two years ago uh, with the FDA. Uh, however, we decided to invest very heavily with this. Um, and, and essentially what we're going to do without giving away too much, as you know, uh, what we would like to do in this case and with the technology that we'll be launching is it, it will not just be um, a unifocused product. So we're not just going to have it focused on one aspect of the women's health and wellness. The idea with this is to have a multi-pronged approach to it where we can actually have multiple revenue streams for physicians and also beneficial ways of treating um, the, the women's health and wellness market. Uh, Spiro, did you want to just add on to that? Yeah, I think, uh, Shaq, thank you. Uh, Matt, great question. Um, obviously, everything we do here at InMode, we try to back up with solid science and publications and peer-reviewed journals. So when we attack this problems um, that uh, have been plaguing women for a very long time, we uh, we stood back and, and we looked how can we approach it. And that's been the focus of our uh, research and R&D with uh, Mishka for the last two years. So uh, we finally got to the point where we feel confident enough to to provide uh, different elements of, of of those solutions, which have not been addressed as well uh, before, and especially since the fact that, as we know, radio frequency is quite is very differentiated from lasers. So the fact that we can go deeper, we can remodel tissue, and RF does not see pigment. I would say that's the core of what we're doing uh, in the women's health. In addition to utilizing some of our technology, which have been so successful up to, up to this point, such as morphine-state microneedling. So bringing that into the woman's health with expanded capabilities on the morphine-state platform, in addition to the EMS, which we have been very successful with on the, um, uh, on the Evolve platform, both of those two, two core elements will be, on, uh, will be part of the solution that we're providing women uh, going forward. Uh, Matt, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be vague here, but uh, we, we like to not uh, get ahead of ourselves. But I can tell you right now, we're very confident, just like all the products we when we launch with InMode, that they actually work, and that's our reputation in the market, and uh, certainly with clinicians and patients, and we like to keep it that way. Okay, great. I'll leave it there. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Matt. Again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. The next question comes from Kyle Rose with Canaccord. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for taking the questions. So, uh, just a, a few for me. Um, I wanted to see if you could, you know, Shaq, you talked about some of the, you know, strengthening of the commercial team that that took place in 2020. Um, just wondered if you could help us understand that a, a little bit more. I mean, maybe you know, where did you end uh, from a headcount perspective, and then how should we think about? Um, you know, hiring moving forward. I mean, is there is there any real white space left uh, when we think about you know territories to build out? Do you need to build specialized teams to go after some of these you know, specialized markets? Just help us understand how how the Salesforce should should trend over the coming you know 12 to 24 months. Sure, hey Cal, uh, great question. So I think first and foremost, we ended up around 134 uh, headcount for the year. Um, we're definitely going to be adding um, for that. And when it comes to specialized Salesforce, it's tricky, and based on my experience, it can go either way. Um, but I think learning from some of the things in my past and, and in the team's past, 
I think the way we're going to look at this, Kyle, is we're going to take a, a hybrid approach to it. So um, there's in this business, it's 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 very challenging to find people who uh, can close capital equipment. Um, luckily, we've found that formula. Uh, we're going to take that and integrate it with within to that, and kind of have a farming system similar to what you see in the major leagues. So I think uh, as we as we start to develop some of our people, you know, all of our our sales force, they all want upward mobility, and we know that, and we support that 100%. And so I think in doing that, as they can kind of learn some of the skill sets that they need in order to actually close business and find business and so on and so forth, you know, the women's health and wellness space is a very, very, very specialized sale. OBGYNs, urologists, urogynecologists, they, this is within their scope of practice, right, and, and, and within their scope of specialty. So we, we need to have people that can actually talk their lingo and understand what they, you know, what they're going to benefit from this. So I think with that being said, we, we have a plan to do that, but what we'd like to do is take a hybrid approach to it, see how that's going, and then eventually transition into uh, potentially specialized teams. Does that make sense, Cal? It does. Uh, that's very helpful. Uh, thank you. Um, and then, you know, Moshe or Yair, I, I wanted to circle back just on one of Matt's questions just with respect to um, guidance for the year, and, and I appreciate you you framing it out with respect to the um, you know the product categories, but maybe just help us understand. I mean, you exited you know in the second half of the year, particularly in Q4, w- w- with record numbers, um, and you know guidance for the full year 21 is, is is suggesting a little bit of a slowdown. I'm just trying to understand: is that more just you know, there's still ongoing dynamics from COVID? It's the you know timing of new product launches. Um, just because, you know, to get to that, you know, 250, 260, uh, it, it does suggest a step down. So maybe help us understand what you're assuming as far as the puts and takes of, of what happens in 21. Okay. Okay. I mean, as, um, as, you, as you probably uh, noticed, in the last three years, we were growing about $50 million plus minus one or two every year. Uh, and uh, and basically growing from 206 to 260, it's about the same $50 million. So I know that uh, when uh, when 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 you calculate that on a 200 million dollars percentage wise, it's come a little bit less than what we did between 2019 and 2020. Uh, but overall, 50 million dollars uh, every year uh, on medical equipment. When you have to deal with regulation on on uh, 27 different regulatory bodies around the world, and you have to deal with the uh, clinical studies, and we have to deal with uh, training. Uh, it's not it's not a small number. Uh, 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 introducing two platforms every year in uh, in addition to the growth in the existing portfolio by fifty million dollars every year, that's something that uh, we we would like to beat that number and hopefully it will be above two hundred and sixty. But as far as the guidance, two hundred and sixty, which is fifty five million dollars more than twenty twenty. We believe it's a fair growth, and uh, and uh, and we hope to achieve that and uh, and do even better than that. I mean, it's easy to say fourth quarter of $75 million, let's multiply that by four and we'll get $300 million. But I'm sure you remember we discussed that several times before. Uh, there is some seasonality in this business, and the fourth quarter is the strongest one, always. So taking the fourth quarter, which usually it's about 40% of the total year, and multiply that by four, and expect to us to do $300 million, uh, hopefully we'll do it. But it's a little bit more than uh, than, uh, uh, than than the guidance that we can give. 
uh, in addition to that, yes, you're right. The, fourth, the first quarter, we still see a lot of effect of the pandemic, especially in Europe. Uh, they, have, they are experiencing the second wave. I know that in the United States, things are getting better, but in South America, they are not getting better. Uh, and in some countries in Asia, uh, things are getting better, but other countries like India are suffering. So overall, we believe that the first quarter, we will continue to see the effect of the pandemic. And therefore, on the fourth quarter, uh, as far as the budget uh, is concerned, uh, uh, we took it into account. But overall, $260 million uh, in 2021, uh, it's, uh, it's a challenge, but we will beat it. Thank you very much. And then just one final question for me, uh, you know, Shaq or, or Spiro. Um, you know, I think the one thing that surprised us in 2020 was, was the durability of the interest from, uh, from patients as far as, you know, getting treatments. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, maybe conjecture or, uh, or you know, reasons for that, why that might have happened. I just wanted to see if you could maybe give us your, your thoughts on the pulse of the market as we head into 2021, you know, particularly – you know, hopefully the market reopens, you know, people are out doing more, you know, do you expect there to continue to be a big focus on, on image and wellness and, and, you know, disposable income being allocated towards, towards these type of procedures, just what you're seeing from, from uh, the commercial field or, or, or your peers? Yeah, no, great, great question. And I'll pass it over to Spiro after to talk a little more from the patient perspective. But, you know, I think one of the things that, that we saw very early on with the pandemic is that we, no one really knew how to deal with it. Right. So it was, it was foreign to everybody. And I think once we got to the point where people learned how to, you know, you go from having 10 to 15 people sitting in your waiting room to now having people coming in, checking their, you know, temperature, and then having them come in, it almost feels like a VIP type of experience for them, right? So I think now that, that physicians have learned and patients have learned how to deal with the pandemic, they're a little more gun-shy. And that's why we saw, you know, back in March and April, things pretty much just went completely dead. And since then, Unfortunately, we haven't seen that. I do think from what we've seen and what we've heard and based on our consumable sales that we certainly have seen, um, you know, an, an uptick in procedures, which is great. And I'll let Spiro comment on why that might be. Well, I, I think it's a great question, right? Um, I'm a practicing plastic surgeon, so I could tell you in New York, so I could tell you this much. There's a group of patients who've always had this done, no matter what. That's an existing pool that's going to come in uh, no matter what happens. What's, what's happened differently, and, and we've seen this reflected by the, the volume coming to the different offices across the country, which I'm in touch with, is there's a lot of new patients that never considered plastic surgery or never considered aesthetic medicine uh, for themselves. And um, I think the reason is people have reconsidered a lot of things that are going on in their lives. Uh, uh, this is a big full stop for a lot of people. So, Yes, the disposable income, no question. Yes, they're not traveling as much, not spending as much in restaurants and stuff like that. So they do have disposable income, but I think there's a reset on the, on the, on the thought process saying, you know what? I need to take care of myself. I need to work out. I need to do these things and I need to look good too. And a lot of self-reflection has, has found its way into expanding this aesthetic market. So even though we saw, we thought the volume was going to be sort of shifted since usually the volume for plastic surgery, the highest is in the spring, and usually in the fall it sort of tapers off, and we saw that pushed back. And we thought that it would basically that's what it was. But it has continued. And I think the continue the part the reason is is that the market has expanded and people start to take care of themselves. And that's part of what we do as well. 
So uh, I don't anticipate any change in 2021. Um, uh, I think that this has been a wonderful year for a lot of plastic surgeons, no matter how tough it has been, uh, has really uh, shown that, yes, people are sort of redetermined what their priorities are. And believe it or not, this is one of them. So um, the psychological factor of this pandemic has had a huge impact. And as well, I'm sure that you guys have heard about a Zoom face and the Zoom calls, so people are looking at themselves for hours uh, on the computer has also helped us. So we anticipate this trend to continue. I think that the percentage of new patients is what's fueling this this market, and I expect that to continue as things open up, especially uh, if you consider the optimism behind that, and the vaccinations will help that as well. Does that answer your question? It absolutely does. Thank you very much. Okay. Welcome. The next question comes from Jeff Johnson with Baird. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Uh, three questions for me. I, I, let me ask my, I guess, my first one, uh, my own gating question on, on 2021 guidance. Uh, I think what we're all trying to figure out here is, you know, we want to get the quarters right, too, and I know you guys don't guide quarterly, uh, but putting kind of pieces together, should we think about the first and maybe second quarter being down sequentially off fourth quarter by a, a good solid amount, 15, 20%. And then how do you think about the second half of the year against these tough, tough comps and the big pent up demand recovery? Is there, you know, solid growth you can put up year over year or should we really dial down our year over year growth expectations in the second half against those tough comps? Well, this is Moshe. Uh, uh, the first quarter of 2021, as compared to the first quarter of 2020, we will see a big growth. We will see a big growth. And you always have to compare quarter over quarter. You cannot compare Q1, Q, uh, you cannot compare Q1 to Q4, uh, Q1 2021 to Q4 2020, uh, just because of the zonality of our business. But if you compare Q1 2021 and Q1 tw 2020, You'll see you'll see a, a big growth. That's that's something that we can assure you, uh, even in our budget. Uh, regarding and, and and again, as I said before, we still see the effect of the pandemic on Q1 2021 in certain parts of the countries, uh, uh, including including in Canada and North America, but also in Europe and other countries. Uh, we believe that starting Q2 2021, uh, once most of the world will get the vaccine or at least we hope so, then we will see a big, uh, a big uh, uh, momentum uh, start, and the numbers for Q2, Q3, and Q4 will pass, of course, the Q2, Q3, and Q4 of 2020. So overall, the growth of 55 or, or, close, to, or close to $55 million year over year will spread over the fourth quarter. Uh, and quarter over quarter, we believe that we will see a nice growth between 21 and 2020, between 21 and 2020. Did I answer your question? You did. Thank you, Moshe. And I guess one follow-up on that. You mentioned uh, the women's health care maybe growing to 8 to 9, I think you said, or maybe 7 to 9% of revenue, uh, the numbers you gave. Uh, if I do the quick math, you know, that would suggest we're getting good growth out of that business this year up to maybe 20 to $25 million dollars. Uh, contribution from that product versus only about five million in 2020. It kind of puts the MIRF or the minimally invasive and the hands-free 
growing closer to maybe 15% uh, year over year for the year. Is that just conservatism? Have we gone through kind of a big bolus of demand for the MI and the hands-free, and now we have to dial our growth expectations down there? Just how to kind of think about kind of your comments on the women's health care versus what that implies for the other two big platforms. Well, we always try. Uh, we always try to be conservative. Uh, uh, we are, especially when we give guidance, uh, because you know we try to be conservative and do better than the guidance. And I think that's what we did in the last. In the last, since we're since we're a public company. Now, as we go to the women health, uh, I, I believe as we as uh, as we said, we we intend to launch sometime in the second quarter. Uh, and other platforms for the women health, which call the Empower. And I think uh, 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 Dr. Spiro Theodoros talked about all the modalities that these platforms will include. We're now doing clinical study, and the initial results are showing are promising. So uh, we expect that that, uh, that will go to something like 6 7% in, uh, in 2021. Whether if it's $20 million or $15 million, time will say, but we will see an increase. One thing I want to remind you all, uh, if you remember the letter from the FDA in the middle of 2018 that actually brought the women health market almost to zero across all the companies in the, in the, that actually marketed products uh, to the OBGYN community. Uh, I want to remind you that we are the only company that responded to the FDA letter and receive the letter from the FDA that allow us to continue to sell to this community. And, we're, and, and this is the reason why we continue to develop product for new indication for the women health. So yes, the OBGYN and the women health market is, uh, is the growth engine for us. Uh, we intend to invest on it. Uh, uh, also, in, uh, as Shaq uh, as described, in a special uh, uh, you know, distinguished sales force, and we will take it seriously as we did with the plastic surgery and aesthetic and the, all, the, all the minimal invasive and the hand-free product that we have launched to the market in the last three years. Thank you. And then maybe my last question, I just wanted to follow up on some comments Spiro made uh, about patient demand. Uh, you know, it sounds like obviously some pent-up demand here in the second half and, and the disposable income and Zoom effect have been helping. Has that been broad across the U.S., Spiro? You know, my question, I guess, more where we still see significant shutdowns in L.A., where maybe the service economy is still quite pressured in a place like, like Las Vegas, you know, historically big aesthetic markets in L.A., Las Vegas. Is there still pent-up demand that could come out in 2021 in help, or do you feel like even in those markets you're hearing from some of your colleagues uh, that demand has already rebounded quite a bit? Thanks. That, that's a really good question. Um, so the biggest markets traditionally for plastic surgery are New York, L.A., uh, Miami, and Texas. And I'm in touch with all my colleagues. The um, the thing that really impacts is the when we had a closure of elective procedures, and that's what happened in March. So if you have closure of elective you know, procedures at that point, you just really can't do anything. So that has not been the case uh, in, in, in California as far as uh, the doctors I'm speaking to. And so the demand is still there. They're still coming in. And will there be a, a pent-up demand after that? I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure, especially New York and L.A. are probably the super strict in what they're doing. The patients are still coming in. Uh, will it be more afterwards? It's hard to predict. I'm sure there are people who are, are scared, uh, who are not probably coming in. 
So I anticipate once the vaccination process continues, just like everything else, I expect that trend to uh, to uh, to continue with it. And the ones that are actually are concerned that wanted that elective procedure done uh, will probably be a lot more confident to come through. So if I had to answer the question in a simple way, yes, there is going to be pent-up demand in those markets. Uh, we expect it. I anticipate it. But the volume right now has not been impacted, the existing volume. Everyone's doing quite well because of the fact that elective procedures have not been stopped, which was which was very different back in March. Does that answer your question? It does. Thank you. Okay. Welcome. By the way, Again, yes, have... uh, the numbers of disposable that we – just a second. Uh, Jeff, the number of disposable that we sold until now from the beginning of the year – are more than what we sold, I mean, in the first month and a half in uh, in the fourth quarter. Again, if you have a question, please press star then one. The next question comes from Asaf Barez Shondali with Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Thank you for taking our questions. And, you know, again, congratulations on a very impressive year. Um, I guess maybe if we could just start on the new product launches, can you walk us through how you're seeing the timing of the launches as we move through 2021? So, you know, back half, uh, you know, front half, back half. Hi, Asaf. How are you? Uh, well, uh, yes, uh, we intend uh, uh, in 2021 to launch two products. One, as I said, Empower for the OBGYN. This we have all the FDA approval already, and we're waiting for the clinical study and clinical proof. Uh, I think uh, Spiro have gave some uh, insight uh, uh, on all the studies that we're doing there. Uh, we believe that this uh, product will be launched sometime in the second quarter. Uh, we also intend uh, to launch uh, uh, another platforms for the ophthalmology market, mainly for uh, dry eye and some uh, some aesthetic eye upper and lower lead uh, uh, procedures, uh, and that will come probably uh, toward the end of the third quarter. We're still working on this platform. Uh, we don't have an FDA yet. It's in process. We submitted for FDA approval, so that will come probably in the next two months. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we continue. We are putting the production line for these platforms which will be ready in the second quarter, starting to manufacturing, and, uh, and, uh, and hopefully that will be also on time. Okay, that's very helpful. I appreciate it. Um, and, you know, maybe, I guess, on the competitive front, and maybe just an opportunity for you guys to, to comment on it, I think we all appreciate the commentary on the healthy kind of demand for aesthetics broadly, but as we look across the other public medical aesthetics comps, whether it be injectables or, or, or cryo or obviously even lasers, um, we're seeing relative weakness. So if you guys maybe want to kind of take this as an opportunity to comment on how you're seeing not just RF, but specifically your kind of solutions taking share and what the feedback is from physicians, that would be helpful. Sure. So I'll uh, I'll start off and I'll pass it over to Spiro. So I mean we've definitely seen over the last two years we've 
you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, there has been some decrease, and obviously with, with any anything like that, there's an opportunity, right? And I think we've kind of seized that opportunity uh, in, in doing what we've done. Um, you know, just in the global space, there, there have been a lot of the competitive issues have been based on consolidation within the industry, as we've seen. So private equity getting involved, uh, purchasing other companies, um, you know, big pharma, so on and so forth. Um, and I think what, what we've done is we, you know, this is just, this is what we do. We specialize in, in capital equipment or consumable side of things, um, you know, our, our minimally invasive solutions, which, uh, you know, no one really has per se. And then we obviously has, have our hands-free, which is a competitive space. But again, a lot of those um, companies have been gobbled up by, by larger companies. And I think they, at that point, lose focus on what they're trying to do and accomplish, and they don't really have a, a captain and navigate the ship. And so I think that we've we've definitely created a situation where we can now come in and capitalize on this type of situation. Spiro, from a patient perspective, did you want to comment? Yeah, I think, uh, Shaq, that thank you for saying all that. I think what's important here to understand is that we've identified uh, what we call a treatment gap. That's a concept we, we noticed in the market. We found an unmet need. And what does that mean? I'll, and I'll repeat it again for, the, for people who don't know. So you have two ends of the spectrum. You have the one end of the spectrum where you have major operations, the plastic surgery operations taking care in the hospitals. And then you also have, on the other side of the spectrum, you have a lot of these non-invasive procedures, uh, lasers, et cetera, et cetera, which are not as effective as they can be. So you have a, a whole number of patients between 35 to 60, 55, 60 years old, which, A, are not bad enough to have a big operation. By being bad enough, meaning they don't have enough skin laxity, they're not ready for a facelift. The same token, they've tried everything else, and it hasn't really worked. And they're getting uh, – there's a fatigue component involved there, right? Getting fillers every three months, coming, getting doing these lasers. So finally, if they can find a procedure that will essentially uh, tighten their skin or give them a long-lasting result in one session, a 45-minute session – even though it might be a higher price, at the end of the day, uh, if you look at the number of continuing uh, treatments over a period of time, financially even makes more sense just to have one procedure done, you're finished, and it lasts for, you know, eight to ten years. So there's being a paradigm shift in the way people are looking at these things. Uh, and, and a combination of what Shaq mentioned, in addition to the fact that people are starting to smarten up, they're like, if I'm having filler three times a year, and I'm having these things done, and I put it all together, it's just easier for me to have something like this, which is permanent, and it looks good, and it looks great. So the minimally invasive approach to what we're doing is a paradigm shift in aesthetic medicine, and that's why you're seeing the growth that you're seeing, because we're able to penetrate these offices, but most importantly, give the patients what they really need. And the doctors are relieved because they don't have to explain themselves afterwards why this works, doesn't work, they're like, here you go. And add to the fact that you have the hospitals and patients are afraid of hospitals, add to the fact that office-based procedures is where it's at. All these elements uh, are, are what make us competitive, but also are changing the way the industry has been in the past. So I'm not surprised there's weakness in other sectors, uh, aside from the uh, aspects that Shaq brought out. Uh, it's also a combination of, of, of patients having what I call filler fatigue, for example. Okay, that's very helpful. Asaf, uh, this is Moshe. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I believe we discussed that when we met in Israel. Uh, uh, I think it's a mistake to compare us to the laser companies. 
you are, you are fully familiar with them, I'm sure. Uh, there are many pub private companies, but there are three public companies, Alma, Venus, and Qtera. And when you look on those three companies' uh, performance in 2020, and you compare them to the performance of InMode in 2020, you understand the difference. 95% of, of their business rely on one energy, which is the laser energy. Laser energy today is becoming a commodity, a commodity, energy, a commodity technology and a commodity product. Uh, they have no IP protection anymore, gross margin of about 50-55%, and they're all losing money, barely break even. So uh, we don't have our category, the new category that we have established, the minimal invasive uh, uh, surgical procedure, it's a new category. I don't think we have uh, a recognized comparable or recognized peer. So uh, uh, I think, I think we, we, need to, we need to be judged based on our performance, not comparing to other company, because most of the other laser companies are not doing well these days. The, the market is saturated, there's overcapacity, prices of the system are going down. Uh, you can buy today the best uh, laser for less than $60,000 uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the best IPL for, uh, from Korea for $30,000, $35,000. With this type of prices, they cannot make money. So uh, the strategy and the DNA of this company is to work on things that we will have intellectual property protection, and also some uniqueness, and this is the reason why this category was established. Okay, great. And just last question on my end. Um, so, once again, exceptionally strong growth in the international business. Can you give us, you guys helped us out last quarter, giving us some color on some of the underlying uh, countries. I mean, I guess maybe most interesting would be any commentary can get on uh, on how things are developing in China. Anything that you guys think is uh, is uh, is relevant? Okay, okay, I'll give you that. Uh, let's divide the answer into into three uh, three uh, three uh, three answers. One, um, currently uh, we have uh, five uh, outside out outside North America, and I'm not including Canada. We have five fully-owned subsidiaries, UK, France, Spain, Australia, and India. Uh, all the rest, we're selling through distributors. So, by, by the way, just to give you some idea, 85% of our sales is direct, North America and those five, uh, and those five subsidiaries. All the rest, we sell through distributors. In 2020, uh, we built uh, the company in, uh, in France, uh, and also uh, uh, we, uh, we uh, hired more direct people in the other subsidiaries. We changed several distributors, but most important, we have received uh, regulatory approvals in China, in Australia, in Korea, and also in Brazil. And these are major countries that actually drive the, the, the growth in the international market. We continue to invest heavily on, on regulatory bodies with regulatory uh, uh, processes uh, in many countries. And don't forget, we have to deal with 27 countries, 27 languages, and 27 different submissions. It is not everything FDA or CE in Europe. 
but we continue to do it because we believe once all of our portfolio uh, will be approved and will be cleared in those countries, it will, it will, it will grow there, it will uh, uh, drive the growth. Uh, so uh, we work on three, three basic avenues. One, to enhance the distribution in certain countries like we did in Italy and Germany, to enhance our position with all of our subsidiaries in those countries where we go direct, and continue to invest in regulatory processes in order to get all of our portfolio approved by most of the regulatory bodies around the world. These are something that we're doing parallel, and this is the reason why in 2020, uh, the rest of the world have grown, as, uh, as uh, Yair said, more than 70% compared to 2019, and I believe that this process will continue in 2021. Okay, thank you guys, that's all for me. This concludes our question and answer session. I would now like to turn the conference back over to Moshe Mazzara for any closing remarks. Okay, thank you everybody for joining us today. Uh, we hope that 2021 uh, will continue the momentum that, uh, that we have seen in the third and the fourth quarter. Uh, we will do our best uh, uh, to meet the guide the guidance or do even better than the guidance, uh, come up with a new product uh, and, uh, and create value to the shareholders. Thank you, everybody. This conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now dismiss.